Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Reaching Horizons with me, Abbas Hussain. Today, I've got a very special guest. He is the Member of Parliament for Nottingham North. He has done various events with us. Uh, he's been a guest on our uh, Eid Festival. He's made many appearances on our radio channel in Nottingham as well, Radio Dawn. Um, it's Alex Norris, Member of Parliament for North and Shadow Minister for Prevention, Public Health and Primary Care. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Sure, I think Alex is having uh, a bit of technical difficulties with his AirPods. I've got, no, I've not got mine in. Uh, I'm gonna stick to you know just these uh, normal uh, um, laptop. But yeah, Alex Norris, um, he's an MP for Nottingham North. This is my first uh, interview with uh, Alex Norris, uh, a politician even. Um, so I'm quite excited. With um, I'm quite. I've excited. lost you, Bas. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me, Alex? I can't hear you at all. Uh, um, <laughs> this is bad timing. We try again. Yeah. But yeah, Alex Norris is MP for Nottingham North and Minister for uh, Shadow Minister, sorry, for Prevention, Public Health, and Primary Care. We're going to get to know a bit about Alex's role, and later on in the show, we're going to speak about um, the vaccine lockdown and. Uh, all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I think Alex is having a bit of technical difficulty, so we'll just let him rejoin uh, the studio and uh, we'll crack on then. But we've got a few questions from people. If you have any questions, leave them into in, in the chat and I'll have a look at them. Um, we're going to get to know about Alex's role as a member of parliament, what he does, what his day-to-day -day life consists of in parliament, what promises um, he gave as part of his manifesto, did he promise to work on education, uh, youth crime, uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, Alex is back, so take two, let's see if this works. Hi, Alex. I'm alive, yeah. here. sorry about that. Can, we, can you hear me now? Yeah, loud and clear. I don't know what's going on. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great to have you on the show. I've been really looking forward to it. And a lot of people have been looking forward to um, hearing from you. So obviously, uh, we're living in strange times. We've never had, um, you know, these measures in place before, social distancing and stuff. For many people, it's very, very difficult, you know, not seeing their family, not seeing their parents and stuff like that. But just um, a quick question, you know, as an MP, um, how are you managing your role as an MP? Obviously, you've got to go to come to London quite a lot, um, you know, attend the House of Commons. How are you working around this? Yeah, well, I mean, like for me, it's, it's very different. You know, if I think back, the election was only, what, 13 months ago. Um, and, you know, you go, you elect, you, you know, you're standing in an election, You've got an idea of what you want to do in Parliament, what you want to do for the community. And then something like COVID happens and changes it beyond all recognition. And if we kind of rewound back to, to that time, to see now, you know, the House of Commons, which people may have seen with only 50 as opposed to hundreds of people in there at a distance wearing masks, I don't think you really would have been able to tell people what was going off there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like everybody, I adapt um, and... You know, I hope those are listening are as well as they can be and, and their families. I know it's been a tough time. I think the best thing I'd also say about it is that, that and I, you know, 
no one's got a crystal ball, but I think we're yeah. nearer to the end than the beginning. I think we're much nearer to the end than the beginning. So, you know, we, we will get there, even if sometimes you think, goodness me, I can't believe, I can't believe this is still going. Yeah. I mean, uh, it has been difficult for uh, university students as well. I'm here for university and I haven't been really going back to see family much because of the measures in place. And, you know, I respect the measures and, you know, I've got to play my part in order uh, to get us back doing our day-to-day, -day, getting back to our normal lives again. So, um, yeah, we can only wish for the best and, you know, hopefully maybe like in a month or two, whenever Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson has it, pull, pulls his um, pants together, we can maybe move forward. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's been a funny, you know, just uh, looking at um, the government going back and forth. It's frustrating as well as a university. I don't think enough support was given um to university students uh, even though you know university students there should be a priority the, they are the future generation future leaders are gonna uh, be made from this generation and stuff so yeah maybe um if someone's listening who works with him you know he, they can give him a budge on the shoulder <laughs> but yeah um you know as i said it's great to have you on the show and um so a bit about your role in terms of a shadow minister yeah. So everyone who's not um, au fait, I will use that term, with um, ministers and shadow ministers, uh, could you just explain that? Because I know a minister, he he has a role in government. Yep. Yeah. A shadow minister is if the Labour Party was in government, you'd hold that ministerial responsibility. So if you just want to... Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good place to start. I mean, the way to think of it is, you know, we've just seen an American election. Americans elect a president who has all those powers invested in that individual and you know they they act almost you know as a sole leader and then have to liaise with congress or whatever in britain we don't have that we have parties elected to lead by getting the most mps obviously at the last election the the, the tories got a majority of mps so they get to form the government mm -hmm. they pick a leader and but that leader doesn't have presidential powers so instead he has a cabinet of 25 30 people so one will be doing foreign affairs, another home affairs, some will be doing schools, some will be doing health, transport, all those wide ranges of British life. Uh, so that's their cabinet. And then beneath the cabinet, each will have three or four ministers that look at a different aspect. So for transport, say, there'll be someone who's looking at buses and roads, there's someone who's looking at aviation, someone else who'll be looking at the green matters, someone else will be looking at railways. Um, so in them, you've got about 150, something like that, ministers. And then we, as the Labour Party, we've got the second most seats in the election. So we form the opposition, as it's called, Her Majesty's Loyal Opposition, which is our formal title, to hold the government to account and to lead that process of, of scrutinising their work. Um, so we act as a shadow government. So they have a prime minister. We have a leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. They have a, a home secretary, Priti Patel. We have a shadow home secretary, Nick Thomas-Simmons all the way down to, and in my case, I'm the Shadow Public Health Minister, so one of the junior ministers below the, the Shadow Health Secretary, which is a fellow from Leicester called Jonathan Ashworth. Um, so I, you know, I shadow a minister called Jo Churchill. She's an MP uh, in Suffolk, um, and I look at the work that she does across primary care, so GPs, dentistry, pharmacy, ophthalmology, and public health, so all those sort of things like smoking cessation, uh, alcohol, all those sorts of you know, challenges to health in, in Britain. Uh, 
and I scrutinise her work and, you know, we debate matters in the house uh, and we don't always agree. And, you know, I'm, I might say, well, if I was doing your job, this is what I would do. And she'd say, well, you're not doing the job. This is what I'm going to do. And that's kind of politics. So that's how it works, really. Um, you know, it's being a shadow minister is great. It's a privilege, certainly, to be involved in the process of health at a time like this, with the global health pandemic. However, I'd much rather not have the shadow title. It's actually to talk, to look at the work of someone else and say, "Oh, you should do this. You should do that." I'd rather be the person being criticised. If I'm honest, that's just my personality. Well, let, let's hope the next election. Uh, yeah. does win. I think uh, we've got. Uh, a great chance of um, winning now that uh, the Conservatives have. Uh, yeah, people all have a good chance. <laughs> but I've got a question here saying, could you nudge the could you nudge um, lady on the shoulder and ask her why the GP GP waiting times are so long? Yeah. Um, one of the issues that um, that uh, she probably needs to address. But yeah, that's fantastic to hear. I mean, that's knowledge for me as well and everyone who's listening. So um, we'll move on to our first question that I have is why did you want to become an MP? And there's a lot of people out there who have a firm interest in politics, but they don't know how to integrate into the system. So yeah, I, it started, you know, I, I didn't start as, as a teenager and think, right, well, I want to be an MP or I want to be a minister, I want to be the Home Secretary and Prime Minister. I mean, there are some people who, when they're 15, 16, 17, 18, that's how they are. That wasn't me. I knew I was interested in kind of politics and current affairs and the world around me. Um, I knew that much. Um, and then I got to university and, you know, came, I was born in Manchester, came to Nottingham for university, and I am... Um, I thought, well, I need to get involved in things beyond just my studies. I, you know, I enjoyed, I studied politics, I enjoyed my politics, but I wasn't a great academic student. I was never going to go on to do master's, PhD or anything like that. It just wasn't for me. Um, so I thought I need to do other practical things, if nothing else, to prepare me for, for perhaps the world of work afterwards. Um, and so I got involved in sort of political campaigning. I joined the Labour Party. Um, and then for me, the big moment was there was a campaign um that I got involved in and, and had a leadership role in, in oh, what year, you know, time's traveling too quickly, but about 2005, so probably my second year at university. Um, and um, they were shutting Baseford Hall College. That was the plan to shut Baseford Hall College. Now, Baseford, Bullwell, Bilborough, you know, my community where I live now, where I represent, um, is one of the, the sort of most challenged educationally. And um, I, I didn't think that was a good idea and other people didn't. We campaigned and we had banners and we did petitions and we went and see, see people, we lobbied and we demonstrated and whatever. And we got the college saved and then we've campaigned since and we've had it rebuilt. And, you know, the, so that, I started there and I thought, wow, okay, so you do that. What, can you, what else can you do? Then I got involved in a few more campaigns and then eventually I thought that, you know, this is important. I think campaigning is massively important. It's still a big part of my life. But I don't want to spend my life always saying this person over there I think you should do this, and now I have to try. Yeah. Eventually, I made, I made the decision, okay, I'm going to try and be that guy who makes the decisions. And that's going to make me unpopular, but I would rather be on that side of the fence. So I stood for the council, got elected to the council in 2011, um, and then had leadership roles across uh, community safety and then uh, adult social care and health. Um, and I loved that. And I'll be honest, you know, because I, I can say this now because because um, no one will be upset with me. My plan, I want to be leader of the council. Um, I, you know, I, that's that was my goal. That was my ambition. Um, 
And then this moment happened and my predecessor, the member of parliament, a guy called Graham Allen for, this, for the north and west of the city, um, he, he decided to step down. He wasn't well. And the election was called that we weren't expecting, 2017. And, you know, the opportunity was there. And I thought, you know, I'll go for it. And I was selected as the candidate and then managed to win the seat and, and hold it in 2019. So that's how it happened. I don't think you can always plan these ways. It starts, you know, by getting involved. And I say this whenever I talk to people who are interested, who, as you say, look at it and say, well, how does that, how, where do I fit into this? It starts, and you're, everybody's interested in something. So if it's just issues, if you're only interested about climate change, there are brilliant campaigns in Nottingham that you can get you can get involved in climate action, Nottingham, Extinction Rebellion, any of that sort of stuff, that's there for you. Or there's immigration campaigns, more important than ever, get involved with the Refugee Forum, help people very directly who need us. Um, or it can be, you can be interested in broader things, so then maybe, you know, I would obviously say, say the Labour Party, so was the party for me, but to get involved in a political party, pick your party, be active, campaign, and then the opportunities hopefully kind of come from that. So so that's my story, really, and that's how I, I ended up here. There are times you still kind of think, how did this all happen? <laughs> um, but, you know, you, it's just, it's a real privilege, and it's my community. I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not sent from, from the moon to be here. I wasn't parachuted into here. It's where I lived. It's where I do live. Um, I love it. It frustrates me at times, and, and I want to make it a better place. And there's days you think you're doing that. There's days you don't think you're doing that. And, you know, you just kind of do your best. I think, uh, if I'm not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Labour's, uh, Nottingham's been a Labour stronghold for quite uh, amount of a time yeah. in terms of council and the MPs as well. So obviously it's split into Nottingham North, which is you, Nottingham East, which is Lillian Greenwood. That's, that's Nadia Whittam. Nadia Whittam and Nottingham South, which is Lillian Greenwood. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, yeah, so those are the three positions, the three MPs that represent Nottingham as a whole. Yeah. So yours, Nottingham North, do you know roughly how many constituents you're representing? Yes, yeah, so it's about 65,000 adults, so then when you put kids in, about 85,000. It's basically everything in the north and the west of the city, so from Bilborough through Aspley, Strelly, um, Bullwell, Baseford, you know, up to the Ring Road, and then Bestwood, and stops about there. Um, so from the ring road outwards, generally the out, the outer estates, traditionally white working class, actually that's changed quite a lot now. Um, quite a bit of African migration, a lot of South Asian, uh, migration from other parts of the city. So yeah, that's, that, that's my bit really. How much roughly like how much casework do you get a week? And sometimes is it difficult to keep on top of, do you have a team in place to help you and stuff? Yeah. I mean, cause the casework's really fundamental and you know every item that comes through that is a person's life and, you know you can you can go down to parliament and think you know the most important thing to me is what's going on in foreign affairs and what does the donald trump situation mean for democracy in the world that's fine but when someone comes to you and says i'm getting evicted from my house and my landlord's mistreating me that has to be your priority helping that person in that moment so i'm looking to be sporting i've got um i have a staff notionally split across Nottingham and Westminster. Obviously, no, no one's in Westminster other than the MPs at the moment. And the Nottingham staff work from home rather than from the office at the moment because of because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, I have this casework support, basically, two and a half full-time equivalent posts. That's the sort of volume we're talking about. And it ranges from very direct, very hard situations, you know, domestic abuse situations, things that are moving you know, within the hour. You've got to get on with getting on with this to things that can be longer term. I get a lot of 
um, you know, you may have done them yourselves or people listening watching you may have done themselves. Basically, letter writing campaigns. So you can go to a website that, that tallies with your interests and it'll say, put your email address and we'll send an email to your member of parliament saying you're really interested in hedgehogs, which is what I got the other day. Um, and uh, I'll, normally you can tell when they've launched them because you get about 10 within about five minutes of each other. Um, they're important because someone's taken the, 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 um, the time to get in touch and say, I matter, I care about this. What do you, what are you going to do about it? But it's not quite as immediate as the person who's saying, I'm getting evicted from a house. Help me find emergency housing. So there, there's a bit of kind of triage and balance in that. Um, the hardest thing for me in there, I mean, it is the volume. You know, I, I represent you know, one of the poorest constituencies in the country. We have challenges around welfare, around housing, around migration. You know, those are really significant challenges in people's lives. You know, throughout COVID, one of the biggest things we were doing is making sure people got enough food. That's really hard. You know, that that fundamental thing to be doing. So it is a lot. And that's before you think about any of your kind of, you know, your shadow duties as a shadow minister or any of your other issues you want to raise in Parliament. You've got to do your day job because that's what you're there for. Um, but I also really enjoy that um, because, you know, I, I dare say we'll talk about kind of campaigning issues, but on the I've got a few issues that I work on that I really care about and progress on that, certainly because we're in opposition, not in government, mm -hmm. progress really slow, like pushing a 50p up, and up, up a hill with your nose, trying to change things. Whereas these casework things, they're immediate things you can make a difference to someone's lives, and that's a great, you know, that keeps I, that keeps me going, frankly. So it's that kind of balance, but that's always got to be the priority because those are people's lives, and you know, nothing more important than that. I think um, in terms of you mentioning like people not having en enough food as well, I think free school meals has been a really really huge issue uh, during this lockdown, and the Conservative government have completely turned a blind eye, even when Marcus Rashford started his campaign and still is campaigning, uh, just 322 MPs voting against giving, you know, small children food. It's like just bizarre. How can you like sleep at night and knowing that, you know, a child is going hungry in the country? Some, some that you were elected to represent your constituents, people, you were their voice. You were supposed to, you know, alleviate their troubles they are having if they don't have enough food. Putting measures in place to ensure that they have enough food to eat. But, you know, I think I was reading the other day. Um, the the person who was given the contract for free school meals, he earns four point seven million a year, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like something about the Conservatives it has always made me uneasy. That everyone they give the contract to, he's either filling his own pockets filling his and the conservative pockets and he's not doing anything at all so i think you know um people who vote to tory they need to you know maybe wake up from the dream they're living in and you know um put their head out the window and look at the country the state of the country you know one of the um world's most leading we we are the world's most leading economy one of anyway you know there's china uh, USA and stuff like that but when you look at what's happening and how the tories are um, controlling this situation it's just you know it's unbelievable like how um so it's just um you know the conservatives they've really made a mess of the country and hopefully anyone who's listening out there who voted tory maybe you know after listening to this interview your uh, allegiance uh, will change and if it doesn't then run into a wall or something like how we just you know we've, we've got to persuade and you know we know at the end of the day we didn't win the election um, and that 
and what we what we can't do is kind of blame the voters and say, well, that makes you terrible people because they're not going to change mm -hmm. their minds. We have to say this is the reality and we have to be clear about what's going on and then clear in our policies in a way that makes sure they believe it, that we can do it and we have to persuade them. We've got a couple of years to do that. And that's, that's one of our sort of primary jobs. So hopefully that's why I say yes to everything. Every, every opportunity is a chance to talk to people who do support Labour and, you know, hopefully fire them up and get their views, but also a chance to listen to people who don't and then hopefully maybe to persuade and have that conversation. So, you know, that that's what we're doing. And hopefully in time you can have enough of them and, and you can win. Yeah, hopefully. Like, um, I think austerity has been a main part of the Conservative government's manifesto for uh, a numerous amount of elections. And, um, you know, and we've seen, you know, Labour's work in terms of free school meals, and so on and so forth. But we'll leave that uh, to uh, an aside before, you know, we get, I get uh, too passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. We have another question here. What have you done since being elected? So like, in terms of, obviously it doesn't have to be specific casework because that might be a privilege between you and your constituents generally. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of going to put that to one side having talked about that but, and take it as read that day to day, you know, we're helping a steady drumbeat of dozens and dozens and dozens of, of people. And then when you add them up over a year, you're talking obviously multiple thousands. So that's kind of a given. Frankly, all MPs should be doing that and doing that well. And if you're not doing that, then you're really not going to be doing a great job. Um, so I'm going to start with a little bit of defence and say that, um, you know, so I was elected for the first time in June 2017. Pretty much the entire time between June 2017 and the election in December 2019 was ru ruined with Brexit. Then the month after we finished off Brexit, pretty much, um, and then there was about a month where there was, you know, we we're back to kind of a more normal time, and then COVID hit us. So my, my three and a half years has just been Brexit and COVID. So there's, that has been a limiting factor on, on the things you do. Um, so my way of delivering locally, uh, I chair a charity called the Rebalancing Foundation, and it's something I stole from my predecessor. It's not my original idea. Um, but it's something virtually no other MP does, and I think it's a really good way of doing things. Because it's saying that I'm a backbench MP, so I have no power. I have much less power than I, have, than I had when I was on the council. Um, so I have to find ways to get things done. Um, so I have a charity where, you know, because I'm the MP, people look to me for local leadership and get involved, hopefully. So I've got Nottingham City Homes, people from the voluntary sector, such as Bullwell Toy Library, uh, the Coppers, the council, all come together through this organization. So the things I do through that, I put a job fair on every year. Um, obviously COVID's kind of ruined that at the moment, but we've had a couple of goes at that. You know, we've, I think 700 people found work through those, which was really good direct things. Um, similarly, we, we found a partner from the world of dentistry who helps us with supervised toothbrushing, because we've got some of the worst uh, oral health amongst our children in the country. Mm -hmm. So again, direct sort of things we've set up dog walking groups you know not perhaps the things you think when you stand for parliament you're going to end up doing but those very local things micro things that or another one good one we um we managed to partner with the roy castle foundation who, who deal with lung cancer to do lung health scans and we found a number of cancers in our community and numbers of cases of copd and those people are getting help now so very direct micro act actions that hopefully help things uh, on our estates and then in Parliament itself, I've kind of campaigned around three main issues because you could do everything, you know, yep. Hong Kong protesters to microplastics in the sea and everything in the middle. 
And if you try to do everything, then you do nothing. Um, so I've kind of focused down on three issues uh, that I think are really important to my community and important in the world. So domestic abuse, uh, modern slavery, and uh, violence and abuse against shop workers. Um, so on domestic abuse, we man we've managed to get um, the government to bring forward a bill. We're on that process at the moment. Um, you know, me and another, a, 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 you know, another dozen plus campaigners have managed to get a series of things in there that you know we think are going to help the world. Still hoping to get paid leave for domestic abuse there. Dem uh, modern slavery um, secured from you know these things can sound esoteric, but you hope that they make a difference in the long run. Getting the getting the government to um, at the moment, big companies are required to publish a statement to say how they know they don't have slavery in their supply chains, mm -hmm. uh, and only half do. You know, what other law is there that only half can um, can only half people have to abide by it? So, getting that extended and and enforced that's been you know one of the kind of satisfactory ones. And then the major thing at the moment on violence against shop workers, I want to make it. Um, an aggravated offence in sentencing. So, ju so judge or magistrate can give a, a stronger sentence if you if you attack a shop worker during their duties. And you know, people have said to me, "Oh, why shop workers? Why not park workers? Why not you know X, Y, Z?" And the reason for that is that shop workers are working in the public interest on things like not selling alcohol to children, not selling cigarettes to children, lottery, uh, knives, acid, whatever whatever it is, drunk to drunk people to to angry people to um, to children, as I say. So at that moment, they've got a badge on, could be Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Co-op, Morrow's, whoever, um, but actually they're public servants doing that and Parliament asked, us to, asked them to do it. So we should have their back. So I haven't won on that campaign yet, but we're getting closer every day. So that's a kind of range of the very local to the very national and everything in between. And, and as I say, it's hard in opposition because we don't have any levers to pull. So we, have, we have to persuade Tories, you know, but that's, that's a skill in itself. Um, and there are days I will confess that you come, you finish, you get home, you think, uh, you know, where, are we making any progress? And there's other days you make great progress. It's really exhilarating. Um, so yeah, it's a real thrill to do, and I hope I'm making progress. Yeah, well, we we are sure you are. Well, I'm personally sure you are. Even though we, I'm not. Um, obviously, Lillian is my local MP, but I've seen you know the work of yourself and Nadia, Nadia being the youngest MP, and she's a great voice Amazing. for her constituents. And um, yeah, if you, you like, if the MPs for Nottingham weren't doing any work, they wouldn't be getting re-elected again and again. So, you know, that speaks for itself. We'd know about it as well. We've got active communities, which is great, and that's what you want, because people soon tell you if you're getting it right, you're getting it wrong. So moving on to the next question is, what does a normal day as an MP look like? Now, you can speak about uh, before COVID and then during COVID. Yeah, so sort of before, it's, it might be a bit easier to talk about in terms of a normal week um, because obviously you've got this, one of the things that makes the role unique is that you've got this split difference between representing, you know, a, um, a, a community, a constituency. I'm, I'm here at the moment beaming in from Bullwell and then having to work in Parliament in the week most weeks um so i go down would normally get the train on a monday morning um wouldn't go too early probably get about the half nine train um then ideally if you're making you know if, if, if you're if you're kind of on track then go to i have a flat in london uh, where you stay during the week maybe dump my stuff change and then go into parliament 
the parliamentary day starts at 2.30 on a Monday. So you, you've normally got an hour or so before then to, to meet with people. And, you know, you have meetings with all sorts of people, whether that's um, groups that have an interest in the, in Nottingham, but maybe a national level. So say the National Lottery, that's all those sort of groups or lots and lots of organisations relating to health, which is obviously, as I said, what I do a lot of my my sort of parliamentary work in. So it could be people about kidneys, people about lungs, all sorts. Um, and then at 2.30, the parliamentary day starts, and then you get an hour for questions. So every day, you, so whether that's the Home Secretary or the Transport Secretary, the Health Secretary, one of the ministers every day, that first hour, will take an hour's worth of questions. So that's a good time to get some of your constituency issues in. Then mm -hmm. at 3.30, whatever the main business for the day is, um, so that can either be emergency statements from the government or things called urgent questions when we want to hear from the government on something that couldn't have been planned. You know, so something breaks out um, and someone, you know, you put in an urgent question saying, I want to talk about this. So that normally takes the next couple of hours. And then the remainder of the day will be on whatever legislation the government wants to put on. So, you know, whatever bills or general debates on things. And on a Monday, that will run till 10. Um, now, on that any of those things you might you might not have drawn, been drawn out for a question you might not have a particular interest in the statement or urgent question you might not have an interest in the bill it could be you know financials there's all sorts of financial bills all the time that it's quite hard to find something to be excited about in so again that time you can use for various things again lots of meetings with stakeholders around health issues or local issues um then on a Monday at six o'clock all the Labour MPs and Lords get together and have a meeting of the Parliamentary Labour Party as we call it that can be a bit, that's not always great fun. You can tell whether you'll win it. It's like, it's for want of a better way of expressing it, it's like a um, it's like a dressing room for your cricket team, your football team. And it's great when you're winning and it's terrible when you're losing. <laughs> um, that sounds a bit like a Royal Rumble. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can really be like that. So then kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are pretty similar, but with different hours. So Tuesday will start at half 11 and we'll go through to 7. Uh, same on Wednesday, and then Thursday, half nine till five o'clock, and then trying to get away on Thursday at some point. If you, you know, if if you don't, if the if the Thursday afternoon stuff isn't of interest to you, you can perhaps get on the train, go back sooner, uh, and then meetings, local meetings Thursday night normally, and then Friday's the big day because that's the constituency day. So be in the office, you know, I've got an office in Central Bullwell, so that'll be constituency surgery with people who have in, individual challenges. Going and seeing community projects, maybe meeting with police or Nottingham City homes on local issues, um, school visits. I do loads of school visits. I love doing those. And you're packing in as much as possible on a Friday. Um, and then Saturday, generally Saturday morning, probably something similar again. Um, and, um, and then at some point, some political campaigning, normally on a Saturday morning or an early afternoon Saturday. And then in an ideal world, you know, you'd like, you'd if you can finish your week at three o'clock on a Saturday in time for the football, that's generally a pretty good week. And then ideally family time Saturday night on Sunday and then back again on Monday. That doesn't always happen. You know, church church is a good place to find people. So that's Sunday morning. Um, faith, faith, um, faith establishments in general, but obviously churches meet on Sunday mornings generally. Um, so that's kind of standard week. Um, COVID, the thing that COVID's changed really is two things. One, I drive rather than get the train. Um, so it's actually it's quite quick. It's not it's not what I'd want for my environmental footprints. You can't do it forever, but it's you know it's quite quick. Um, 
and then everything's done into the laptop. So again, you, you can pack a lot into your day because I can. The, the the good thing about it, if there is any good thing, and there really isn't much, but I can do Nottingham things in London now yeah. uh, because people, you know, I can do surgeries because someone. It's not as good. I'd rather see someone, you know, face to face because often the problem they come with is not the problem that they tell you they're coming with. And then it's only when you see people in their body language you kind of understand that actually there's something else they need help with. Yeah. Um, so uh so that yeah i mean that that's kind of it really it's every day's a little bit different it's great in that sense you're never bored it goes like that you know you, you suddenly you get down on a monday morning you think here's the week and then you suddenly before you know it you're coming back on a thursday and similarly you're throwing yourself into it when you get back home on a thursday and it's soon time to go back to london again so time you know time moves pretty quickly it does sound very um tiring but i guess when you help people and you love doing what you do it's a fantastic thing to do yeah. you know yeah you know you're never bored which is the most important thing you get tired everybody gets tired but there's you know it's the adrenaline gets going and it, the stuff's so important and interesting that it keeps you going really yeah so that's fantastic to hear i mean i didn't really know i thought you know mp's mainly based in westminster all of them get together um and they have representatives in Nottingham to work on their casework and stuff, and they work on it virtually from Westminster. That's what I was. That's I mean, there is quite a bit of that, and you know, I would always say that the the, pe the people doing the skilled casework work are my staff. You know, they they're in it every day. They are specialists in it. So I, you know, but people want to talk to their MP too because there'll be some MPs who just say, "Well, don't bother talking to me." The staff will be doing it anyway, so tell them. I don't think that quite works, and I think there'll be times. I think if if you know, if, if, if someone from my team was on that says that perhaps I get involved in ways that aren't helpful because because they know what they're doing and I start saying, oh, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? But they, uh... oh, yeah, that's fantastic uh, to hear. It's quite busy and quite, uh, it sounds very tiring, but as I said, you know, uh, it probably pays off when you see smiles on your constituents' faces. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, this is what we voted for. Um, but yeah, uh, we know that, uh, well, I personally know that every MP that, gets put forth for an election, whether that be Labour, Conservative, he has his own manifesto on issues that he or she will work on within his constituency or her constituency. So the next question is, what promises were part of your manifesto? So the sort of things, I could, my, my, my manifesto was pretty similar both times because there wasn't a lot of time between the elections. And, you know, I, it's slightly different. You stand for council and you think there's got you've got a good chance of, of being in charge of the council, you, you can commit to more concrete things. Parliamentary elections, it's hard to know whether you're going to be in government or not. So, so what I committed to really were the sort of areas I wanted to work on. Um, you know, first was a was a was a pledge to be local, present, have a local presence in Bullwell, be accessible. So kind of stuff you'd expect to do, but people want to hear. And then focus around work and jobs. So that's where the kind of jobs fair things come in. My charity would just want to bid off the off the um, postcode lottery for ten thousand pounds to put people back into work. Um, so that sort of thing. Um, then a pledge around our schooling um, because we, you know, we certainly up until the last year or two we've had significant cuts to school budgets. Which whatever you think about politics, that's a bad. You know, investing in your children saves you money in the long run anyway. Um, so kind of a pledge around school funding. Um, we're, done, we're doing better there, I have to say. Um, we're winning that conversation. Then something around older people um, and um, 
support, whether it's social care or through a health service. I mean, COVID's kind of blown that up a bit, but actually, you know, as a country, we're still not getting there. So we're a long way away from that. Um, and then commitment around, try, just trying to scratch your head on the, on, on the last one, the, we talk about environment because that's that was supposed to be the great issue for this parliament, climate change. Uh, Britain's going to be the leader of COP when it comes round. It's been cancelled because of COVID. Um, so again, I, I try and put a bit of a focus on that. And I haven't done as well on that because, as I say, it's been blown up by COVID. So, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with the kind of progress that to report back to people after a year. I think people are quite understanding that it's been a difficult year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those are the sorts of things you talk about and, and then, obviously, you know, you go back to people and say, this is what I said I'd do, this is what I've done, and you hope people will assess it fairly and then they make that judgment about whether whether to send you down again and, you know, you never take that for granted. Uh, that's, I mean, uh, like, in terms of promises in a manifesto, was yours different? So, you know, when you ran for council, did you have a manifesto there as well? or was Yeah, we, we had kind of local pledges. Oh. And then, I mean, and, and similarly, what I had on my local materials, because there's materials that come about the Labour Party nationally mm -hmm. and what we want to do for the country, and then we'll have kind of support that with local pledges too, because I think people want that balance. Uh, and then everything you kind of pledge locally has got to fit in with what you're doing nationally. There's no point saying you're going to make a focus on school education and funding for schools if your national manifesto says you're going to reduce it. Now, obviously, you probably wouldn't say that, but but those things have to be complementary, I think. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to our next question. Um, so, well, it's, quite, it's kind of a repeat. Uh, what issues have you worked on since being elected? Uh, we've been through that pretty yeah. much, so... Um, whoever asked that you can just um, watch the show again. So now we move on to the questions about the COVID vaccine. And obviously that's a hot topic in my community personally, because what we have in the Pakistani, Indian and Bangladeshi community is a lot of conspiracy theories. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure in other cultures as well, but personally, I think not to the extent where people are frightened to get an injection. I mean, we have had injections in school, I think measles and, two or three other uh, injections as well during my secondary and primary school. So the first question is obviously, well, well, we'll start off with the vaccine itself first. You know, the vaccines come out, we've got the Pfizer vaccine and uh, there's obviously another AstraZeneca yeah. or something. That's AstraZeneca, yeah. Yeah, so we've got those two vaccines and um, the government has uh, been able to get, I think, a couple of million uh, doses of that vaccine and obviously the elderly are going to be pri prioritized so who else is going to be prioritized and um so we've got the elderly and then we've got um our key health workers so if you just want to talk about uh, who's next in line for the vaccine and a yeah. approximate time period yeah so there's at the moment there's uh, nine categories that goes from the very top which is residents in care homes and staff who work in care homes mm -hmm. to over 50s. So at the moment, you and me don't quite pop up in a category yet. Yeah. Um, but the priority, basically, if you, if, you, if you vaccinate all nine of those categories, you reduce, basically, you eliminate 99% of people who would have died from COVID. Because actually, if you and I getting COVID would be a bad thing, but the likelihood of us dying, unless we've got an underlying condition like, say, diabetes, is actually relatively low. 
Um, but if it's in the older categories, it's much higher. So the top four, which is that one, the care homes and the staff, frontline NHS, the clinically extremely vulnerable, so that's people who are shielding because, let's say, they've um, they've had a, a problems with an organ before, maybe part, lost parts of their liver, not got a kidney, um, or got you know, long-term conditions, and that takes you down to basically the over 70s, third four categories. And again, if you vaccinate all those people, um, that reduces about 80% of your, your risk of death, so a really big chunk in a relatively, that's about 13 million people, so less than a quarter of the country gets you more than 80% of, of saving lives, so well worth your, your time. Um, the top strand, the, the care home split is supposed to be done by the end of this month, and all four, those top four, has got to be done by the middle of February, so about a month from, from now. We'll see if the government can hit those targets, but we, we very much hope so. And then the rest will come a little bit after that. Um, I know that the WhatsApps are fizzing at the moment. You know, I, we hear about it. You know, you hear some of the stories. Um, the only thing I'd say is if people have a doubt about it, ask whether that's asking your GP when you call for it, whether that's asking your local councillor, your local MP, whoever it is, you know, leaders, leaders in your faith community, good people to talk to about this, ask your question. Like, the, some of the conspiracy theories are a bit ridiculous. However, people being hesitant about getting vaccinations, putting that into the body, that's not an unfair thing to be. I'm very confident that whatever the question is, there's a good answer to it. But ask it and we will do that. And we will, you know, I want to persuade people. That's why, you know, that's why you don't put it in law saying everybody has to have it. You know, it's, you've got to persuade people and we need people to take it up. Um, and, you know, we know particularly, and this is the thing that kind of concerns me, Who's been dying of COVID? It's been people with disabilities, mm. and people, and people uh, from Black uh, and Asian communities in Britain, and certainly in the latter, those are people who are now vaccine hesitant. So there's a lot of risk there. So I want to be able to persuade, inform, and support people to make that decision. Not to say just do it and shut up. You know, I don't believe in that. Every question's a valid one. Ask it, and we'll deal with it. So we've got a comment here via Facebook by. Um, Mahfouz from Birmingham is a conspiracy uh, question circulating is whether the vaccine will alter people's DNA. It is absurd, I know, but if you can clarify, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, no, it, it, that again, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's, that's not how this vaccine works. Um, it, you know, altering DNA is very, very difficult to do anyway outside of kind of the embryos or whatever. Uh, so that's, you know, that's definitely not the purpose of this vaccine. It's not what it's been tested to do. It's gone through all the testing stages. So that's certainly not, uh, yeah, not, not an issue with this one. I mean, neither of us are medical professionals, but if we take into perspective this question, we can see that we've had many vaccines before prior to this and, you know, Polio, well to protect us, you know, those vaccines, have, whether that's the swine flu jab, the flu uh, jab, um, the measles injections, anything like that, they've proved to be effective. There might be the odd, you know, reaction to the vaccine, but that's normal. Just as, you know, you have an allergic reaction to anything else. You could have an, aller an allergic reaction to paracetamol. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's why there has to be proper medical oversight. But yeah, I mean, and in that spirit, because we've all had vaccines, that's why in Britain, healthcare outcomes get better and better. Um, and if, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that, that a lot of your, your listeners will be from the Muslim community, 
uh, or Hindu community, well, I know that those communities are very active and very involved and very passionate about international aid and support for the developing South. Well, when we give support to the developing South, what is it? It's education, running water help, food, and it's vaccinations, lots and lots of vaccinations. You know, so we, 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 we're in this business already. This is not a new thing. Um, so we do it every day. We do it to our children and very safely. And, you know, so I don't think it's something we should worry about. And it's gone through all its, te- all its proper phases. But, you know, those are legitimate questions to be asking. So we'll move on to our next question. It's regarding the vaccine again. Um, I mean, there we've got a comment from a brother saying, you know, way too much fake news going around WhatsApp. And that is pretty true. Um, the amount of videos and, you know, um, little pictures that I received saying, you know, don't take the vaccine, be well, the vaccine, uh, with like a devil's horns on Boris sometimes or Miss Patel or something like that. It's very uh, concerning. But um yeah as we said the vaccine is completely safe it's been through all of the test stages and uh you know um as we spoke about allergic reactions as well it's normal to you know have the odd allergy to something it's not um uh something to worry about but the next question we have is how does anyone know the long-term benefits of the vaccine i mean we kind of spoken about this um, very briefly because it's been through the trial process trial uh, stage and we know that um, because it's been through that um, there's more benefits than you know reactions if there was more reactions than benefits then the vaccine wouldn't have been you know given into the public eye and there'll have been lots of process points in that process of of testing and developing where stuff got thrown in the bin because it didn't work you know the one thing we do know is you know, better than 90% of the time, these vaccines give you uh, immunity to COVID. And that's what the name of the game is. Um, now, we, we can't say what therefore is going to happen 10 years down the line, but there's no reason to think anything's going to happen 10 years down the line. This vaccine, like other vaccines, is doing a very specific job. It's going into the body, targeted to develop a certain reaction over a certain time period. And we know that for this vaccine, develops an immunity to COVID in about three weeks. So, you know, that's what's there to be concerned about, really. So, you know, that it's been fully tested and and you know, that's the right thing to do, which is why it's taken time. You know, people ask me, well, how's it come through so quickly? Well, actually, one of the major reasons it's come through so quickly is that normally when they're developing a vaccine or, or for any issue, you do funding bids, you're trying to get money to push it to another stage. For this, we've thrown a kitchen sink at it. We've said, look, we're doing this, come what may. You know, if we can get it safely done, then this is what we're doing. Um, so they haven't had to worry about writing bids. They just got on with it. They haven't had to worry about finding people for tests because this has been the priority. And people, you know, they, they, they put it out there saying, do you want to be a test? And people flock to it because they want this to be over. So, you know, it's quick because it's had a really, really, you know, streamlined process but not because we've dropped any of the safety elements. We've dropped all the other bits that aren't to do with safety. And so I hope that can give people confidence. But again, ask, 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 you know, whether that's today, whether that's asking someone in, you know, a, a mosque, a temple, a church, or in school where you work, wherever, ask people, doesn't it? You know, there will be some people who kind of roll their eyes about it. It is right, you know, it's your safety, it's your life. It is right to want to inform yourselves of the risks and benefits. I think the outcome is very, very clear when you look at that. But ask, and I think you know that's absolutely right thing to do. Um, I mean, another point to mention there as well is that if we compare it to the swine flu, swine flu was something that was affecting mainly England, 
Mm -hmm. And that's why the vaccine took, you know, a longer time than the coronavirus vaccine. In terms of the coronavirus vaccine, that was that is affecting the world. And when the world comes together, you know, we can do marvelous things. So that's just a point that I wanted to mention. The next question is, has the vaccine got human or animal DNA? Um, which is yeah, yeah. And I, again, that's a very important one. Again, you know, it's halal, it's kosher, um, yeah. but this is another one that if you're discomforted by, talk to leaders in your faith community, talk to imams, talk to friends at mosques, um, you know, to be really sure that you can that, that this is compatible with your belief system. It is, you know, I'm very confident in that. We've had all the checks there, but if you need to inform yourself and give yourself confidence that you know i think that's really important because i know that you know brothers and sisters listening people in general put a lot of thought into what goes into their body and how that aligns with the way in which they lead their lives and that is you know it's a very sacred and personal decision to make mm -hmm. so you know take your time to be to be sure on that but this is absolutely compatible with any of those beliefs whether you're a jew a muslim a christian or or not none of the above frankly yeah i think the uh, muslim council of britain uh, uh, have done a lot of um, uh, uh, interviews and uh, talk shows on this particular topic that the vaccine is halal. You know, it's it's not contradictory to any specific religion. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, uh, and also the uh, um, British Fatwa Council, which is the Muslim legal ruling in terms of not um, legal ruling as in. Uh, um, uh, the decisions aren't binding, for example, legally, but in terms of Islamic Sharia, it is um, it's a board which um, gives legal rulings, Islamic rulings, uh, based on the contemporary topics. And in terms of the coronavirus vaccine, they've deemed it safe and completely halal to use. So, in terms of Muslims out there and Pakistanis who are worried about the coronavirus vaccine being um, not uh, safe to use or contradictory to Islamic beliefs. Uh, it is not the British Fatwa Council has given a ruling. And likewise, I think the um, other communities, Muslim community, the Jewish community, the Christian community have all deemed it safe, the Hindu community as well, and the Sikh community. Uh, so the last question before we part is, do you think the COVID situation is bio-warfare? This was quite amusing when I uh, got this. No, I get it. And you know, I always think, and we've had a little bit of dose of this in Britain recently, There's there can be a tendency to say, you know, something so bad happens, first, to, you want to find blame, and you say, okay, well, we understand that this started in Wuhan. So either, you know, the actions that were taken there, and I don't know the wet markets in Wuhan, I'll be honest about that. doesn't sound like it's great standards. It's not like Bullwell Market, that's for sure. It wouldn't get past the council inspectors. Um, but then they want to put the finger of blame, and I don't think that's helpful. And then after that, you say, "Well, okay, maybe if maybe if it's not negligence on um, on um, on their part, maybe they did it on purpose." Frankly, there's there's 25 ways they could do you know easier and, and worse things, or or why now? You know, I don't think there's any credible evidence to suggest that's the truth. Sometimes these things happen, and we, you know, this has been a reminder that we are very interdependent on each other and we live alongside each other and when things are airborne then boy can they transmit so yeah i, I don't you know i don't think there's any evidence for that i just think it happens and we've had to respond to it and you know that's good um 
we know that pandemics are a risk because of the way we live live yeah. our lives. So we need to be a bit better prepared, perhaps, for the next one. I think for me, the frustration was we could see things happening. Okay, maybe you, you look at China and say, "What's well, happening in China? That's a long way from home." Once it was happening in Italy, I think we maybe should have said, "Okay, maybe the Roma team shouldn't be coming over to Liverpool. Uh, maybe we should." They're going into a lockdown. We we're three weeks behind them. Maybe yeah. we should three weeks we should just do it ourselves and there, those are lots of lessons there but i don't think this is you know this isn't a war situation this yeah. is a you know these things happen situation i think um in terms of you know lockdown and stuff like that there were a lot of u-turns made by the government um there there wasn't uh, any action immediately unlike other countries such as new zealand who are part of the commonwealth australia who are you know have completely had this under control and uh, a big well done to uh, her team Jacinda Ardern and you know her cabinet but in terms of you know our cabinet uh, I always describe the Prime Minister as incompetent and uh, a few other light words as well um, well I wouldn't say them on live <laughs> but, but I think it is it's it is clear and obvious, I think, and the more you know we, we need to get through this and then we'll look at the lessons that we can learn from it yeah that they were slow at every stage, slow into lockdown. So we know that that made the first peak worse. Uh, they were slow to sort out the test and trace system. They still haven't. We spent 22 billion quid on this. So people are wandering around with the virus and we're not telling them to self-isolate. Um, they were slow to sort out PPE so that people in care homes were not being protected. People on the front line NHS not protected. They were slow there as well. Then we were slow on the second lockdown, so that meant that that was worse. We were slow on the plans over Christmas. Everything's always just a day or two behind. And, and the ultimate one, which we're only seeing resolved, I think, to, well, I think, whether it's tomorrow morning or the day after, is you know, we're not Australia and New Zealand, so sometimes it's hard to compare. However, the one thing we definitely are in the same as them is we are an island, and, and Australia... The 27th of March said, right, nobody's coming in. You know, this that's it. We're locking down. We'll have our citizens who are coming home can come home, but they've got to isolate on the other side and we're going to check it out on, you know, pain of pain of real of getting in trouble. Um, and we haven't instead, Heathrow's been wide open, ports have been wide open. And it's only in a couple of days' time that we finally shutting down. And you just think, how many? And you're not talking hundreds, you're not talking thousands, you're not talking tens of thousands millions of journeys in that time of people coming and going and i just and the government say oh well it, it wouldn't have made a difference it's just wrong mm -hmm. and and that people will look at that and say how did that take 10 months to do um and it's because everything's been slow 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 but as i say for now let's all pull together let's see this off let's get back to normal um and then you know then we can talk about what it means about competence and then maybe what it means about the future I think what you said is completely, you know, hitting the nail on the head, uh, delaying, 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 everything was delayed. Um, and um, hopefully this is something that we can, you know, learn from going forward. Um, but for now, it's just abiding by the social distancing, abiding by the measures in place, because at the end of the day, it's not, these measures aren't one-sided. It's something which the Labour Party and all other parties agreed to because the national interest is in mind. It's not, you know, putting personal um, differences or taking personal differences or personal um, feelings into consideration. It's putting the national interest in um, uh, consideration. And that's what their aim was in terms of the Labour Party uh, but, you know, the Conservatives, they've spent 22 billion 
on track and trace is still not working adequately in my opinion they have contracts out for ppe nowhere to be seen it's it's just you know and also there was uh, the chief advisor to the prime minister who went against uh, his own um yeah. rulings his own measures in place you know for to travel to some place for an eye test or something like that absolutely bizarre that was defended it and they defended it boris johnson defended it pretel but defended it matt hancock defended it and then they stand up and say but you've got to abide by these rules it's really important this and is where people lose faith in do. yeah uh, mps it might apply to some people and then not to others and that's yeah. never work yeah. yeah yeah it's not a good impression you know when there's there's a, a you know a phrase going on one rule for them another for us you know it's it completely you know um it's, it's not very nice for you know people who have to stay away from their family who have to stay away from their parents because they might give them the virus but you know we we hope that you know maybe in a month or two a couple of months we're back to our normal lives again everyone has the vaccine very very slow process but there's light at the end of the tunnel and i just want to end with that there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel you know other countries we can do it too yeah brilliant all right well thank you for having me and thank you Alex. it was a pleasure having you thank you so much for answering those questions and hopefully who's listening you know has learned from today's show thank you very much alex well all right cheers have a good evening you too goodbye alex well that was alex norris uh mp for nottingham north who's doing a fantastic job um he's very active in nottingham north but across nottingham as well as you uh, heard he was a councillor as well before he stood as an mp he is doing great work and we hope that um he carries on with this good work with uh, his fellow colleagues nadia whittam and lillian greenred but a massive thank you to him for giving us time and going through the vaccine coronavirus lockdown and his role as a member of parliament Next week, we have a very, very uh, strong, passionate activist coming on the show. She has been a key um, person raising awareness about the injustice and atrocities committed by the Indian uh, government in Kashmir, in um, uh, Kashmir, in uh, Pakistan and India, mostly India, the atrocities committed there who uh, they have turned a blind eye to, but she has been very vocal and she has set up a, a group and she has been campaigning and she's done very, very well. We will interview her next week and talk about uh, her campaign. And a lot of Lords and MPs are supporting her and we hope that she is able to carry on with the good work uh, as well. But we will be interviewing her next week on Saturday, five to six p.m that's next week 5 to 6 p.m so keep that day in your diaries but till next time it's goodbye from me and take care of yourselves and um abide by social distancing obviously and hopefully as we already mentioned there's light at the end of the tunnel and other countries have got the coronavirus in control and it's our time next thank you see you next week 5 p.m